Hey, everybody. Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor here. I am excited. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine, Dr. Michael Grandner on. And, you know, many times I meet people in academic settings, uh, working on projects, things like that. This is an unusual one uh, because I met Dr. Grandner on the set at the Dr. Oz show. Uh, we were talking about uh, research looking at sleep deprivation and um, vitamin and mineral deficits and sort of what are people missing out on um, in their bodies when they're so sleep deprived. And I was so impressed with his research, his attention to detail. I walked backstage and I was like, I got to meet this guy. This is a superstar in the field for sure. And guess what? I was right. He uh, he's done some pretty amazing things. Let me give you a little quick look at his bio before we jump in. He's the director of the sleep health research program at the University of Arizona. And he is also the director of the Behavioral Sleep Medicine Clinic at Banner University Medical Center, as well as an associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry, the University of Arizona College of Medicine with joint appointments to the Department of Medicine, Psychology, Nutritional Sciences, and Clinical Translational Science. I mean, this guy's everywhere. It's unbelievable. Um, he's editor of multiple journals. He's actually been published in over 150 articles and chapters and cited over 2,000 times. One of the things that I thought was so fascinating is he served both on the Mental Health Task Force and the Intra-Association Task Force for Sleep and Wellness for the National Collegiate Athletics Association. Yes, folks, that's the NCAAs, you know, where the basketball tournaments are and stuff like that. The Mental Health Consensus Committee for the International Olympic Committee. Yep, that's the IOC. He's one of those Olympic guys and works to help improve sleep and performance in both professional and non-professional athletes. I work with him on a fun project together looking at food and sleep. We work together on a project called Night Food, um, which has been a really fun thing to, to work together, a sleep-friendly ice cream of all things. But today, we're going to be talking about a whole host of things uh, with Dr. Michael Granger. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is, this is great. We're so excited to have you on. Would you mind giving everybody a little bit of a taste of sort of how did you get to be so involved in exercise and nutrition and sleep? So my interest academically is the idea of sleep as, as a part of health. You know, we th what do we think of when we think of the pillars of health? We think of diet, exercise. Um, not smoking, you know, right. but, you know, sleep belongs on that list. When you think about it, what, what do humans as, as an organism, what do we require to live? We need to eat food. We need to drink water. We need to breathe air and we need to sleep. That's a very short list. Uh, when you think <laughs> about it that way, sleep is pretty darn important. Yet when you look around, we live in a society that often sees sleep as unproductive time, right? Right. And there's nothing worse, there's nothing we hate more than unproductive time. And so we have these cultural attitudes about sleep. You never hear someone say things like, you know what, clean water, that's a luxury for people with too much free time. Right. Or, you know, when Fresh I retire, air. I'm gonna breathe some clean air, right? You know? And you know, I don't I don't like to breathe. I think I could get by on less. Like you don't hear people say that. Um, but we do say that about sleep, and that sort of fascinated me. And so I, I really try and understand how is it that sleep is related to health in ways that are meaningful to people? Um, how is it that it's related to how we feel and function during the day and how we perform? Um, and then how do we how do we understand how to do something about it when we live in a world that that sort of deprioritizes sleep? It, it's truly amazing because everything from I'm a macho stud, if I don't sleep 
you know, all that much to woe is me. Look at me. I don't sleep enough type of thing. Right. It's it's, you know, runs right. the gamut of I'm a stud or, oh, my gosh, you know, give me more attention. So, I, <laughs> right. I, right. It's it's pretty amazing when you start to look at it now. You know, you have really focused on exercise or at least working with athletes. You know, our group of listeners, maybe some athletes are in there for sure. Um, but, you know, most of us are not, not that professional athletic type of people. Help us understand some of the things that you've been working on or learning through your research about athletics, um, exercise and sleep. And then maybe let's see if we can generalize some of those for our for our crowd today. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that that I've learned from working with athletics populations, and, and I say this sort of half jokingly, is is <laughs> elite athletes are people too, right? Um, right. They are freaks of nature, but they it, are people too. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways they're outliers, but in a lot of ways they're really not. And and actually what what drew me to athletics really was the fact that here you have a group of people who care very much about how they're performing physically and mentally. People sometimes forget about the mental performance in athletics. It's a big piece. They right. care very much about their performance. Um, and yet they, they, they live in a world where they often have to wake up really early to practice and train. So like swimmers are usually in the pool before five in the morning when right. they're training, for example, or, or, or you have people in the weight room at six in the morning. So very early. But at the same time, especially working with some of the college athletes or even the, some of the pro athletes, they're up very late, whether it's working on homework or schoolwork or just because they're 20 and in, or, or, or they're right. younger and they're just naturally up late. So you have this scenario where you have people who are actually quite overscheduled. Um, they're not very much in control of their schedule. They have mm. all these social, environmental and structural constraints on when and where they sleep. I mean, you have some athletes who are traveling constantly and they're constantly in hotel rooms and they're never really, you know, able to get comfortable. And so you have all these sorts of scenarios. And to me, that sounds a lot like a lot of people's lives. Um, and right. It sounds like I a new can, mom to me. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and that's really what drew me to athletes as a population. I mean, they, they can be fun to work with, and, and cool people and, and all, but really it's about that athletes represent, they, it's sort of in some ways an exaggerated, in some ways not very exaggerated version of what everyone else is doing too. It's just that they're so hyper-focused on their performance, right. they don't, we can, we can maybe make improvements and actually look at metrics. And then what we can take is exactly what you're saying, take what we're learning from athletics and say, actually this works for everybody. Um, so yeah, I mean, so that's how I sort of got in, in into working with athletes um, because I think it's a place where I could do some good and, and mm -hmm. it's a place where we could learn something that means even more. Um, and we've been learning all kinds of things. Um, what I've been focusing on, so our research that we've been publishing has been looking at the role of sleep and mental health and how that, that plays a role in performance. Um, well, that's that, a big seems, that seems very of, valuable of right doing. now. For sure, right? Yeah. Sleep, mental health, COVID—you <laughs> know all the stress right. that everybody's going under. I, I think that's very applicable. What are some of the stuff that you've learned? So, a couple things. Um, first, we've learned, not super surprisingly, that the athletes, even in, in the peak form that they're in, if athletes are not sleeping well, they have worse mental health. They have more depression. They have more feeling overwhelmed. They have more anxiety, more stress. Um, more difficulty handling things. Um, and, and, you know, 
and it's sometimes tough to talk about, but also more more suicide ideation, thinking about suicide and and just feeling like giving up because they they're at the end of their rope. What one of the, we actually have a paper that just came out where we analyzed some data showing that each night per week that that they reported that they didn't get enough sleep, their likelihood for being someone who has even contemplated uh, thinking about suicide in the last um, last month goes up by depending on the on the statistical variables we had in there between like ten and twenty percent from pe- compared wow. to people who get seven nights a week of good sleep. So it's like each it was like a dose response every night per week that they weren't getting enough sleep on average, the risk went up. So this is so what what we're looking at because mental health is a big focus in athletics right now because it's a big focus in society. You know, athletics right. is is trying to sort of lead the way a little on this, but but really um, people are are recognizing the importance of mental health where it's sort of not all in your head. Um, all in your head used to mean. Um, it may or may not be real, or you could all in your head your way out of it. Um, but what we're what we're learning more and more is that there is a deep neuroscience to this. It's just tricky, um, but it is very real, and it makes real impacts on people's lives. So one of the things we're showing, for example, is that that lack of sleep is is leading to increased um, likelihood that someone's going to have mental health issues, and that these mental health issues will impair other areas of life. Um, the other thing that I'm particularly and that's excited in about, athletes or that's in normals, uh, both. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been publishing both, um, mm-hmm. and then one of the things. So one of the, two other things that are really interesting that we're finding. One is that, um, and this was in non-athletes where we looked at this because athletes are very very active. But in in non-athletes where there's a wide range of activity levels, one of the things we showed mm-hmm. was that the link between lack of sleep and health was actually, you could actually um, improve that a bit if you were exercising. So people who aren't getting enough sleep and not exercising were way worse than people who, huh. who might not be getting enough sleep, but the benefits of exercise didn't get tossed down the drain. You know, they, they, sort, of, they mm. sort of worked with it so that it, it sort of mitigated some of the effects so that it might, I mean, it's harder to exercise more when you're sleep deprived. We can talk about that later, but it just shows yeah, that- perception that, Per, you know, perceptional exertion and things like that. You know, when <laughs> right. you're tired, man, working out is tough, brother. But it sounds like if you're sleep deprived and you work out, you may be able to thwart some of those mental health issues. Yeah. Yes. Um, and and the other thing we found that was interesting was that there are ways of increasing and improving sleep. So we focused this on athletes. This is where we started. This started actually with a, with, with a, a grant to study this in athletes that we could help them improve their sleep not by telling them they need to sleep more because I said, look, I can't control your schedule. Like, and I can't control your life. But what I can do is, is what we did was we taught them how to recognize their own sleep problems, how to know when it's a problem we're dealing with and when it's sort of normal and what to do about it on that, what they can do on their own and when to ask for help. And so what we tried to do is we tried to increase their sense of control over their sleep. And what we found was by doing that, we improved their sleep. And that improved their mental health and, and functioning in all kinds of other domains too. But we mostly looked at mental health. All right. So I have two questions. One sure. is what was the amount 
of exercise that these variable exercising people do. So for my crowd, what would what would make sense? Is it 20 minutes of cardio a day? Is it I mean, I know it's hard to it's hard to say yeah. this is the thing, but what what would be a range for something like that? So so what that, that study did is we looked at some national data gathered from the CDC where they they actually it was a it was a big health study that they did across the US. They asked something like 450,000 Americans all kinds of health questions. One of the questions they asked them was, what is the main thing you do to get physical activity? And not surprisingly, the largest answer was nothing. Um, and the second largest answer, the second most common answer by far was walking. Um, but then there were people who did, who were runners and there's people who were bikers and, you know, and what we found was, um, any activity versus nothing was better. Um, then the question was, was there, so does it matter? And so then we looked at, so is, was there anything, so, so anything was better than nothing. So then, so then the next question was, was anything better than walking? So is it, is it just, does it just not matter? Is walking just fine? And it looks like things that were better than walking, um, it looked like it was a wide range of things. The things that stuck out the most as being better than walking, are where so running was better than walking um even yoga and gardening um so so it looks like so it looked like it didn't matter the intensity but so so my my question was what did this have to do with sort of like intention and focus and 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 uh, so running was say better than jogging where jogging wasn't necessarily better than walking but running was i don't know if that makes sense so Again, you know, it was it was it was a preliminary look, um, but it was really interesting to see that some types of activities gave you gave you more bang for your buck. But any activity was good. So I guess that that's a, a really important message for people is that look, if you're just going for a walk every day, that's much better than doing nothing. Um, and if and if you're doing something more intense, that's probably better than walking. But if intense for you is yoga and gardening, not necessarily cardio. Um, that might be fine as well. Um, and, and I think, so I think that's actually a, a really useful message. Yeah. So we, we, what we probably would translate that for folks into would be doing, do something, right? Maybe start walking, maybe 20, 25 minutes a day, maybe parking your car further away from the grocery or go to the yeah. mall and walk around, wear a mask, stay socially distant, all that crazy stuff. <laughs> Um, you know, and then build yourself up to maybe adding one day a week, something a little more intense, like gardening or yoga or something like that. And so I, I feel like your message is be active. So I love that message because I'm a big fan of that. And then over time, as you're comfortable and, and of course, as your doctor tells you start to maybe increase some of that intensity. Um, and it really helps, um, ward off some of the effects of sleep deprivation. Number one, what does it do to the quality of of their sleep as well. I feel like their quality, their sleep quality should be improving as well, correct? So yeah, we found that. So we looked at, um, we looked at sleep duration, we looked at um, overall sleep quality, and we looked at daytime sleepiness. And we found that, that, that these things all sort of lined up where the things that, the things that were, um, those sorts of activities, the people who were doing them, so it's not that, so we can't say that when, so the data doesn't yet say, that when you add them, these things change. What the data showed was that the people who are more likely to be doing these things anyway are also more likely to also be sleeping better and things like that. So what that means is 
Um, it, it, it might be that something in the activity itself, but I think you hit it where it's, it's not about the activity. It's about the making the changes in your life and, 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 and having intentions to be doing things. Probably, maybe you have a direct benefit from the physical activity itself, but maybe it's just also the ability, you know, the focusing and the, um, and the prioritizing, and it might feed back into other areas of life. I think that's important. And if I were going to give a recommendation, I'd, I'd, steal a little bit also from the circadian literature and say, um, if you could get some of that activity outside, that might be better than inside, um, especially in, in, in a natural environment, that's one thing, but also even just in sunlight. And if you can get that sunlight in the morning, I mean, there's data. I mean, one of the first projects I ever worked on as a, as a graduate student was using bright light as an antidepressant. And the effects were um, the effects of bright light in the morning as an antidepressant are about the same as medication for a lot of people. Um, so, I mean, it just goes to show it gives you energy and it can improve mood, just the light itself working through the circadian biology. So you pair that with activity. There was a paper that just came out from Australia showing that um, at least as a treatment for like jet lag and people whose schedules are all dysregulated, combining that light with movement was, was the most powerful thing to get people back on track. So all this together, I think, is an important message. Oh, I, I think absolutely. There's, there's no question. And I think you're helping us all now think about a new morning routine, right? Yeah. So we get up, right? We yep. start moving and we do it outside in the sunlight, right? Yep. In the mornings. That sounds like a recipe. And, and that's, that, that's the time we're built to do it. Yep, exactly. Exactly. No, I, I love that. Now, here's one. Here's an aspect that I'm always interested in when we talk about exercise. Um, and you've dealt with, you know, professional athletes. So granted, I'm not a professional athlete, but I know that there are, <laughs> there are times when people can overtrain, right? Train too much and that can cause problems with their sleep. Hel help us understand a little bit more about when would we, when, what would we notice in ourselves that might be an, a sign of overtraining doing too much exercise yeah so so that's a good question um full disclosure not being a physical trainer like so my, my experience with overtraining is is more on the um what happens when overtraining occurs so but usually it's it's Outside, so so athletes are, are pro athletes and elite athletes are a little different because pushing themselves sort of past what they can physically do is sort of a normal experience for them, and they and they can right, sometimes it's like a regular everyday thing, right? And they sort of lose the ability to tell what's not normal for their body sometimes, um, because or or what or because it's like yes, my whole body hurts, but like that's normal, right? Where where people people who aren't actually tend to like in my experience anyway but again what do i know um tend to be pretty good at, at knowing at knowing when when something is too far a good sign so for sleep for example so not only can overtraining impact sleep actually one of the things that that's also been found is that if you're not sleeping it'll increase your likelihood that you're overtraining so that because you need so so the thing is with overtraining you get this scenario where you're working too hard so when you think about what training is, training is, you know, you're working your muscles and you're working your body and you're putting it through a lot so that, you know, you're sort of breaking it down so it could build back up again stronger. I mean, it, it, it's, it's sort of a little silly, but one way to think about it is you're, you're, you're putting your, you're giving your body a harder life than it actually needs to and telling it you need to rise to this challenge. Um, and so it's like, all right, message received. So then it grows and, and it adapts to the, to its own environment that you're creating for it. 
But when do you think that happens, right? This muscle growth and repair and regeneration and replenishment and adaptation, exactly. So sleep is, is the other side of the coin of training. So if you're training and not sleeping, you're injuring yourself, but you're not properly repairing and growing. And so that's where a lot of the overtraining happens in the athletes, where they're pushing themselves hard like they're used to and like they're taught to, but they're not sleeping enough to be able to build that recovery. And so, so that over time, the overexertion becomes more dangerous. So that brings up my other question. Um, so first of all, that makes a lot of sense, but that brings up my other question, which is like, how do athletes or how does anybody really tell the difference between fatigue? Like, oh yeah. my gosh, I've been training and fatigue versus <laughs> sleepiness, right? Cause that's always tough to tease apart. And I think a lot of us out there kind of wonder like, what, what is the difference? Or have you noticed anything academically or in your studies that might be able to give us some clues? Yeah. So, um, yeah, fatigue and sleepiness there. It, for, for people who want to know the difference between fatigue and sleepiness, ask someone with insomnia, because someone with insomnia <laughs> can be very fatigued, not very sleepy. So sleepiness is, is you can't stay awake. It's like hunger for sleep. It's like you're starving. That, um, so it's like if, if, you're, if you're hungry for food, you put a plate of food in front of you, you eat it. You, don't even, you almost don't even care what it is if you're starving. And you'll eat it quickly. That's sort of what sleepiness is. Sleepiness is you're starved for sleep, so your body is looking to take it wherever it can. Um, and sometimes it could be, you know, while you're driving your car, which would be really bad. But sometimes it's, it's if you sit down, if you can't watch a movie, if you're sitting down, if there's a meeting or, or if there's a class or something and you just cannot keep your eyes open, boredom doesn't cause sleepiness. It only opens the door to it. If it wasn't there already, you wouldn't be falling asleep. Um, so, so sleepiness is, so academically we call it sleep propensity, which is the, the how likely are you to fall asleep in any given situation? Are you going to fall asleep now? Okay, how about now? Okay, how about now? That's sleepiness. Fatigue is more of, uh, is more of an emotional, um, a physical, emotional, a mind-body experience where you either physically or mentally sort of don't have the resources to meet the demands and challenges that are in front of you. So, so when you're fatigued, you're like, it's like you're out of gas. Your engine's not broken. It's still working fine, you know, but you, you can't get to where you're trying to go. And, and I see fatigue in clinic all the time. I see fatigue in clinic. People think they're sleepy, but they're actually fatigued. Um, and, and what's funny is a lot of people who are sleepy don't think they're sleepy. Um, they're like, no, I'm not very sleepy. Like I could stay awake. And then they're like, their eyes are like dozing off while they're talking to me. Um, and they're like, and so you, and then their spouse is there. It's like, are you kidding? You sit in front of the TV and you're out. Yeah. It's because I'm tired and it's comfortable. I'm like, yes. Like if, if you fall asleep, when you stop moving, you're sleepy. Um, and sleepiness, just like hunger is, is, has a, usually has a relatively simple cause. And it's that if you're hungry, it's because you're not eating. Um, and if you're sleepy, it's because you're not sleeping. Either you're not sleeping enough or the sleep you're getting is sort of shallow, uh, maybe because of a, a medical condition or pain or something that, that we could treat or because of something in the environment like noise or a snoring spouse or something. Um, but that's sort of what leads to sleepiness. Your sleep either wasn't enough or it wasn't nutritious enough. It wasn't substantial enough to sort of keep you going. Fatigue is different where you can have people. So, so not both of those things also cause fatigue. 
but lots of other things can cause fatigue too. And what often happens is you pair not sleeping with stress. Those two things feed on each other and, and make fatigue way worse. So, so for example, um, if you take people, if you take people with insomnia, um, who are not, or, or people who are sleep deprived and they're not sleeping in general, their fatigue levels will go up. If they don't have lots of background levels of stress or depression or anything else in their lives, you give them a nap, fatigue will shoot down quickly because it was a matter of sleep. Once you start adding things like depression and anxiety and stress and, and inability to sort of control thinking, once you add that in, they sort of boost each other. Um, and so even if you do get a good night's sleep, you still sort of feel fatigued because it's sort of like you have this hangover effect where, the, where, it, where, where it didn't fix all the problems. And so then people don't know, then they start feeling helpless and they start giving up. because like, I thought I was going to fix this and then I didn't. And it turns out it was a more complicated problem. But one of the things that we found was dealing with it is important because, so like to use an example from, from, um, from athletes, one of the things we found was that athletes who are sleepy uh, are, if we, 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 so we did is we gave them all a questionnaire. We looked at insomnia, sleepiness, sleep deprivation. Um, and then we tracked them for a year. And what we found was insomnia and sleepiness independently predicted who was going to get a concussion better than any of the other concussion risk factors like prior history of concussions and what sport you play and all this stuff. It actually was a better predictor. Um, and actually, I got that idea from a study in baseball where they gave a simple sleepiness questionnaire to baseball players. And they found that... Um, Based on the score of this eight-item, two-minute questionnaire, it predicted who was going to be kicked back down to the minors or not within a year. Just that one thing, because they were sleepy. Um, and the other thing that, that that idea that came from from the occupational world, so people in workplaces, there's a literature in workplaces, a lot of this comes from Europe, showing that people who aren't sleeping well, they're like three times as likely to get injured at work. They're more likely to become disabled. They're more likely to miss work. And so I'm like, you know, just asking a couple simple questions about how someone's doing can predict all these things into the future because they carry it with them. Right, right. And that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, I mean, we, we kind of know that. All right, I'm going to go for a last big question for you. Okay. I'm, in, I'm interested in the relationship between sleep, fatigue, and energy. Yeah. Right? And sort of because everybody on everybody that's listening, we all want more energy. You know, we want better sleep. We want less fatigue. We want more energy there. It feels like there's a relationship between those three. And I think people uh, I think you have an idea of what that relationship might look like um, and how people might be able to take advantage of it. So the first so, so I, have, I have two answers to that question. The first one is about circadian rhythms and chronotypes. Where, where chronotypes, awesome. That's my specialty. as you know, <laughs> yeah, right. So chronotypes, as you know, is where our body has a natural 24-ish hour rhythm. And in that rhythm, we have a part of the day where our body wants to be most active and alert. Now, because we're biological creatures, this isn't exactly precise to the minute all the time and everybody the same way. Some people it's here, some people it's here, some people it's here, some people it's wider, some people it's narrower. We have this window. We all have a window. And this window can change based on who we are. It's probably mostly genetic, but it's also shapeable by the environment. And so 
a good thing to do is to figure out what your chronotype is and plan your day around that. Because if you're a morning person, but then you have a job that requires a lot of activity in the evening, um, you're going to perform worse. We see this. So to use the athlete example, we see this all the time. People who are practicing early in the morning, but playing night games. Well, their body's not used to functioning that well at night. And so they, they tend not to do as good as opposed to the people who are practicing at the time they're supposed to be performing. Um, and especially if it's lined up, where, where if you're practicing and performing at a time that works for you, your, your life is going to feel like it's more put together. Your life, you're going to feel like you're not always climbing uphill because you're, you're going downhill. You're, go, you're using, you're using the, your time the way your body is expecting you and want you to rather than fighting against it. So you're going to feel like you have way more energy just by being aligned with your chronotype um, as opposed to not. So, so, and then another thing is this idea of energy and sleep where um, when people first wake up, um, they often feel sleep inertia that'll wear off in a little bit. Um, but some people are sort of dragging a lot during the day. And so they feel like they have no energy. And you, you get this cycle where lack of sleep leads to lack of energy, which means no no exercise, no activity. I don't want to get up. I don't want to do anything. I, I, I don't have energy for effort. And then that sort of becomes uh, a feedback loop. And, and often people blame their lack of energy on no sleep. I don't have sleep, so I don't have any energy. What they don't realize is that it also feeds back. So because it's a cycle, you have um, lack of energy disrupts your rhythms which then also disrupts your sleep, which then gives you less energy. Because it's a feedback loop, there's actually a solution that, that we learned from the cognitive behavioral world is that when multiple things are connected to each other, you don't have to go after the hard one first. Um, so, if, so it's like in cognitive behavioral therapy, I want to change my feelings because I'm depressed. Feelings are hard to change. Let's go after your behavior. Let's take a walk around the block, get some sunlight. Now, you know, make a little dent before we get some momentum to work on the other stuff. So with sleep and energy, sometimes, you know, you can't caffeinate this stuff away. Um, you can caffeinate away a little bit of the fatigue, but all the evidence shows that caffeine does not fix mental functioning. It doesn't really fix decision-making. It doesn't fix all these other things. So, um, so actually, sometimes the easiest thing to change is making changes to your sleep, where, where we already know that a lot of sleep problems are highly fixable, even if, even if not totally fixable in people with complicated problems, not everyone can do it on their own, but simple things like giving yourself enough time to wind down at night, even if you feel like you haven't done enough that day. Use that time to invest in your sleep that night. Get out of bed if you can, sleep, do stimulus control, all that stuff that, that I know you talk about with people all the time. Um, practice those good sleep habits. Improve your sleep a little bit. Use that extra, you, you, you've, you've now increased the amount of sleep energy you have to improve your sleep a little bit. Use that to feed back a little bit into the morning. Get up, get some sunlight, get a little bit of movement in the morning which can help set your day a little better and, and make these smaller steps. But sometimes the first thing to fix actually is the winding down process at night and being able to get to sleep. Once you get that, it will then feed back in the system. So sleep really does give you more energy if you sleep in your chronotypical schedule 
um, as well as get you know good quality sleep that will feed back and give you more energy, which will allow you to move more, which will give you more energy, which will allow you to sleep better. Yeah, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck with their sleep, right? It's it's how much do I have left at the end of the day? And that's a miserable way to live. I mean, and, and we talk about this financially that a lot of people are living paycheck this to way. paycheck with their sleep. I love that. Yeah. And isn't that true though? And it's like, okay, well now I'm done. How much time do I have? You know, I don't have time for winding down because I've got all this stuff I need to do. Instead, you should be thinking of sleep. You should be investing in yourself. You should be saving. You should be put aside a little bit like you're supposed to do with your paycheck to your retirement account or whatever. You should be so, so when I'm sitting on the couch at night thinking, what am I, what, when am I going to get ready for, to go to sleep? I think of, when do I need to be up tomorrow? What do I need to do tomorrow? So thinking backwards, what, do I, what kind of sleep do I need to get tonight? When do I need to start putting my screens down and winding down so that I'm ready to sleep at the time that I want to? So I get enough sleep in order to function the next day. And it just turns out that a lot of people don't don't get enough sleep because they feel like they have too much to do and they don't have what it takes to get through everything they need to do during the day. And they're and and I say, well, what if I can give you that time and that energy back? What if the reason you don't feel like you have time to sleep is because you're inefficient and tired? And by actually investing a little bit in your sleep, you're actually going to improve your efficiency, your productivity, your energy level, your mental focus enough that what used to take you an hour now takes you 45 minutes. And there, and and you multiply that by a whole day, and there's your time, and there's your energy, and there's your sleep. That's awesome. I love that. That it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, first of all, my audience is eating this up. I guarantee you that <laughs> this is exactly the type of thing that we're interested in and understanding more about. So, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been absolutely amazing. No, thanks for having me on. I, I I'm really glad to talk about this with people. Yeah. Well, for, also, by the way, you're coming back, whether you like it or not. I mean, you are my friend, so you have no choice, <laughs> but um, your research is so damn cool. Um, we're going to be learning more and more. How, If people wanted to learn more about maybe some of your research or some of the things that you're doing or, or just learn more about you, where where would they go and how would they learn more about you? Sure. Um, my website is michaelgrander.com. Um, and uh, our, our lab website is sleephealthresearch.com. Uh, they're both linked to each other. Amazing. Yeah. And so you can find out more about what we're doing. That's awesome. So for folks out there, this is my dear friend, Michael at Grandner, and he is a sleep stud. That's all there is to it. His research <laughs> is amazing. He's teaching us new things. I'm definitely bringing him back on so he can teach us more about some of the things he's doing. I know you're actually working now doing some work surrounding sleep and COVID. I think yep. that's the case. Yeah. And you've got some other really great research coming out. So don't worry, everybody. We're going to have Dr. Grandner back for sure. But thank you. Thank you for those knowledge bombs that you dropped on us today um, and <laughs> teaching us more about how activity leads to energy, which leads to better sleep. And that whole feedback loop is not to be intimidating. We can all be a part of that. And that's what I love about your research is you look at the extreme and then you tell us how to do it locally exactly. for us non-athletes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me too. This is great. Wow. Wasn't that interesting? Um, you know, whenever I talk with Dr. Michael Grandner, I always learn something new. It's pretty amazing some of the things that he's able to learn working with some of the most elite athletes in the world. And then 
helping us learn more about what we need to do for our sleep. A couple of takeaways that I learned from him, very interesting. Some physical activity, which should be daily, is better than none for sleep. So for folks out there, and this seems a little bit of a no-duh kind of thing, but to be truthful, 20 minutes. That's all I'm asking for, 20, 25 minutes. And like Dr. Granier was talking about, just go for a walk. Start out with a walk, and then maybe one day a week do something a little more intense and slowly start to put yourself into a physically active position. The more physically active you are, the better your sleep and the less likelihood that sleep deprivation is going to have a big effect on you. Um, Sleep deprivation, either low quality or quantity sleep, um, he also told us leads to more concussions. Well, that kind of makes sense as well. So anybody out there who's got children or grandchildren who play sports, um, we need these kids to be well slept because when these kids are well slept, they don't get hurt. Um, Also, we want to identify um, how to know if you have a sleep problem. I thought that was fascinating teaching athletes to be able to better understand when something is going on with their sleep that they can talk with their coaches or their staff and try to learn a little bit more. Um, I love this quote, boredom does not cause sleepiness. It just opens the door. I think we were talking about that um, during his uh, moments about fatigue. And um, I thought that was also very interesting because so many people say to me, well, if I just, if I'm, if I stop and and sit down, I'm going to fall right asleep. That means you're sleep deprived. Um, No question about it. Boredom only again, opens the door. So I thought that in and of itself was very interesting. And then finally, I thought that the cycle of low sleep leads to lower motivation, which means it makes you feel like you're doing more work. And so guess what? You have lower energy. So there really is a relationship there uh, that I thought was quite fascinating. Um, and I learned a tremendous amount from. So thank you once again, Dr. Grandner, for all of the amazing work that you do and for teaching us more about exercise and sleep. And now it's time for the mailbag. I've got questions from many people around the country who've got interest in sleep. First, we have a question from Michael from North Carolina, and he asks, how long does melatonin last in my body if I take it in the evenings? You know, this is a really interesting question, Michael, and not one that I've gotten uh, many times before. So it appears as though that the half-life of melatonin is between one and two hours. That means that once it gets up into the brain, that your body will excrete it in about one to two hours, at least half of it, sorry, in one to two hours. In order to get the entire amount out of your system, it appears as though it takes four to five half-lives. So what does that mean? That means that it's going to take somewhere between four and maybe, I'm sorry, eight and 10 hours to get all of that melatonin out of you. This is the reason why when people take large doses of melatonin, it really has an effect on them the next day and why most people should be taking melatonin in the half a milligram to one and a half milligrams dosage. Remember, that's something that I've been talking about for quite a while. If you want to learn more about melatonin, feel free to check out my melatonin blog on thesleepdoctor.com. Our second question is from Ken from New Jersey, and he says, my wife tells me that I need a CPAP, but I only think I snore. What should I do, Dr. Bruce? So this is an interesting question and one that I get actually more often than I ever imagined, um, where a bed partner says, I think you have apnea and you need to go get treated for it. And then the individual says, what are you talking about? I only snore. I would say this happens 95% of the time. So what would you do in this type of situation, Ken? pretty easy. You need to go get a sleep study done. Now, there are many different times and places that you can get sleep studies done. You can get them done in the evenings at a sleep laboratory, or you can have them done in the evenings at your own home with a home sleep 
test. Uh, these are sleep tests that can be mailed to people. Uh, this can actually come from a uh, accredited sleep community or sleep center that you would find in your community. But my, I would say, without question, you need to go do a sleep study um, because if your wife thinks you need CPAP, she's probably heard that you stop breathing in your sleep. And very few people stop breathing in their sleep don't have apnea. Uh, my third question is from Monica from Orange County. And she says, when should I start looking, uh, when should, I'm sorry, when should I start lowering my lights in the evening so that they don't affect my sleep? This is an interesting question because we start to look at how long does light have an effect on melatonin production. And so what I'm always telling people is approximately 90 minutes before bed, that's when you really want to start slowing things down, as well as dimming the lights or putting on your blue light blocking glasses. If you're just a light dimmer, then I would say 90 minutes before. If you're going to put on the blue light blocking glasses, you can put those on around 90 minutes as well. And then you don't need to lower the lights because the blue light blocking glasses do it all for you. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone or think you might have a fascinating sleep story to share or maybe make a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website at thesleepdoctor.com. I hope you learned something new to help you live better and sleep better. Until next time, sweet dreams.